Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm number 37, and we're going to be looking at verse 4 this morning. Psalm number 37, verse 4. It's going to be a two-part message. We'll just entitle it, Delighting in the Lord. Let's go ahead and read that verse. Psalm number 37, verse 4. It says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. So I want to talk to you this morning about delighting in the Lord or rejoicing in the Lord. Um, As you know, Scripture is full of references to rejoicing in the Lord. Um, I could choose one of probably hundreds of verses um, to to give you examples of this. Um, One that I think kind of stands out in the the New Testament because uh, the Apostle Peter in his first epistle, he acknowledges the suffering and the trials and the temptations that Christians face. And yet there in chapter 1 of verse 18, he says, though now you do not see him, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Joy inexpressible. Now, the the very idea that following God uh, brings an inexpressible joy or any joy at all is a completely foreign thought to most people. Um, Most people think that serving the Lord is somehow drudgery. Um, that the last thing that they think of when they think of serving the Lord would be joy. Um, a lot of young people, when they are uh, faced with the claims of Christ and the call to discipleship to follow Him, they, their reaction is, but, but if I follow Christ, I'm not going to have any fun in life. I'm not going to get to do the things that I want to do. Uh, but it's not just young people who react that way. Um, the vast majority of, of mankind shares that opinion that following the Lord and joy, are they, those two things just don't go together. Now, if we're talking about false religion, it is true that there is no joy. False religion, um, it, it merely adds toil and misery to this life, and it confirms the follower to misery in the next life eternally. And not only that, not just false religion, the worship of false gods, but seeking to worship or follow the true God in the wrong way also is toil and misery. For example, trying to gain his favor by good works. Um, If you uh, have had uh, the opportunity to study the life of Martin Luther, the the father of the Reformation, as he is sometimes called, uh, you'll know that his testimony was that for years he sought to be um, acceptable to God through his good works, through going through all the rules of Catholicism and all the rules and regulations. And he admitted that it made him angry and miserable. That's because he was trying to gain acceptance with the true God through the wrong means. So yes, false religion does not bring joy, but true religion, biblical religion, um, is the complete opposite. Loving God, trusting Him, serving Him, knowing Him is the greatest delight and joy. And we are commanded here uh, in Psalm 37 to delight ourselves in the Lord. Now, 
for this, uh, this message, it's going to be a two-part message and a very simple um, two-point outline like we had last week. Um, point one is going to be the command, and point two is the promise. We'll look at the promise next week. The promise is that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, that He will give us the desires of our heart. Now, that last part needs a lot of explanation because it is often misapplied and intentionally so by false teachers. Um, it, is a, it is a wonderful promise, but we'll have to save that to next week. So this morning, let's look at the command that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the privilege and the blessing of being together today. And we thank you for your, for your word. We come before you asking that your, your Holy Spirit would minister to us during this time. I, I pray that he would bless the teaching and the preaching of the word. Father, you know everyone in this room perfectly is a precious individual made in your image you also know our greatest needs, Lord, believer and unbeliever, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us at the point of our particular need this morning and help us to see that ultimate joy and delight is in you alone. And so may we seek, Lord, to delight in you. We thank you and pray your blessings upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Uh, this morning we'll be looking at uh, point number one, the command, which is to delight yourself also in the Lord. Um, Hebrew scholars tell us that that word delight is a very strong, intense word. It means to find pleasure in, uh, to take exqui exquisite joy in. Now let's just drop back for a moment and, uh, and contemplate the fact, the truth. God created human beings with the capacity to be happy and to experience joy and satisfaction and delight. He created us with a capacity for those things, and we might even say the need for those things, which leads, therefore, to the desire for those things. So happiness and joy and delight and pleasure, those things are God's ideas. That's, that's God's idea. He, he is, he's created us to be happy and to, and to experience delight and joy. And here he commands us to delight in him, in the Lord. Now the Lord there, that is the, uh, uh, probably all of you uh, or most of you are using a version where the Lord is in capital L and then small capital letters O-R-D. The translators do that to indicate to us that this is a translation of the proper name of God, Jehovah. Um, in Hebrew, Y-H-W-H. So uh, this is how God revealed, revealed himself to Moses when Moses said, when they ask who sent me, what should I say? Say, I am, hath sent thee. I am that I am, the existing one, the true and living God, Jehovah. So we are to delight ourselves in him. And as I said in the introduction to the message, you can look throughout scripture and find similar commands. Uh, for example, in Philippians 3.1, uh, Paul writes, finally, my brother, Brethren, rejoice in the Lord. It's like he's wrapping up that epistle, which uh, by and large focuses on joy, and he says, rejoice in the Lord. And in that same, uh, same epistle, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. So what I want to do is uh, uh, kind of break this down, this idea of delighting in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord. And we're going to look at five different points, five different points today. And the first one, item A for an outline, would be this. Delighting in the Lord 
is not automatic and it is not natural. I'll explain that. Delighting in the Lord is not automatic and is not natural. Um, I think that that stands to reason. Otherwise, why would we be commanded to do it if it's something we do automatically and naturally? And this is what I mean. Okay, certainly we ought to rejoice in the Lord. It ought to be automatic. It ought to be natural. It, it ought to be like loving God. Loving God ought to be automatic. It ought to come naturally. Uh, there is no one other than God who is deserving of love. God deserves deserves our love. He absolutely deserves our love. He's worthy of our our love. But this is the problem. The problem is our sin. Human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, and therefore, because we have we have this bent towards sin, uh, because we are sinners, we do not do what we ought to do. So we don't love God naturally, and we don't rejoice in Him naturally. Uh, you'll remember that when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they brought spiritual death upon themselves. They, they came under horrendous conviction. Something changed inside. And when they heard the Lord God walking in the garden, they hid themselves. They didn't want to be, they didn't want to be near him. And that's what Adam and Eve's descendants do. In our sin, we don't want God. Uh, Paul says in Romans uh, 3, we don't seek God. We want to run from him. We don't want anything to do with him. We don't love him. We don't rejoice in him. So after the fall, delighting in the Lord was not automatic. It was not natural. In fact, it was completely absent. As I said in the introduction, unsaved sinners think the very idea of delighting in the Lord and having joy in the Lord is impossible, if not crazy. Uh, to them, God is a burden. The whole, the whole thought of serving God and, and, and obeying Him in joy is, is the farthest thing from their mind. It reminds me of what Psalm 2 says, Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that's Christ, the Messiah, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. We don't want anything to do with them. We don't want to submit to God and his Christ. We want to live our own life and do our own thing. And so that's natural, unsaved man, man in his sinful, lost condition. He does not automatically or naturally love God or take joy in him. In fact, it's the exact opposite. But when God saves a man, when God saves a woman or a young person or child, he gives that person a new nature. He is born again. All things are new. So now, being saved and being born again, he now has the capacity to love God, the capacity to rejoice in God, the capacity to obey God. And the Holy Spirit has come, has come and indwelt him, helping him to do what he ought to do, like loving God. And so then he responds to God's love with love. Uh, John wrote in his first epistle, chapter 419, we love him because he first loved us. So if a, if, if a man loves God, it is a response to God's love and what God has done in his life to change him. So he now has the capacity to love God. He begins to love God. Now, it is a very, very, very small love. 
but it's a true love. And, and God, the Holy Spirit, begins working in that man's life and starts to grow that love. So that love grows and grows. Um, it's a lifelong process. It'll never be perfect. Uh, it's direction, not perfection, but it's true. And it's the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit, meaning what the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a Christian... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And he goes on to, to, uh, to uh, list some other virtues. But I want to focus on that love and joy. So the Holy Spirit produces love in the life of a believer, uh, love for God, love for fellow believers, love even for enemies. And then joy, he produces the joy. So see, what, what we could not do when we were unsaved, we now can do being saved because we are different, we're changed, and we have God's Holy Spirit working in us, producing these things. So now, as a saved person, I have the capacity to love God. I have the capacity to delight in the Lord. Um, so if you're saved, the Holy Spirit's in you working these things. And uh, the key is we have to submit to him. We have to submit to the, 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 the means that the Holy Spirit has ordained for our growth, like prayer or being in the Word, um, fellowship, these kinds of things. So it is a growth process, but it will happen. I wish that we could just kind of flip a switch and be there in all the perfection of love and joy and all those things, uh, but it doesn't happen that way. It is, it is a growth process. So item A was delighting in the Lord is not automatic. It is not natural. But when someone is saved, he or she now has the capacity to begin doing these things and the Holy Spirit of God there to help us in that direction. Item number B and this is crucial, item number B, delighting, and I know this is going to sound redundant, but I'll explain what I mean. Delighting in the Lord means delighting in the person of the Lord. Delighting in the Lord means delighting in the person of the Lord. And here's what I'm getting at. Uh, Not to make a fine division between these two things, but you you have the works of the Lord, the works of the Lord are what he what he's done, what he what he does, and what he will do. So you have the works of the Lord, what he what he does, and then you have the person of the Lord, who he is. We are called upon here in this verse to delight in the person of the Lord. Now, of course, we ought to rejoice in His works. Absolutely, um, there's a, there's a, there's quite a few verses that call on us to rejoice in the works of the Lord. For example, in Psalm one eleven two, the works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. We ought to have pleasure in the works of the Lord. We ought to rejoice in the things that He has done. Um, we think about, uh, most of all, spiritual and eternal blessings, salvation. We ought to rejoice in our salvation, what God has done in our life, lives to forgive us and to change us and to fit us for, his etern- for presence with Him for eternity. So we, ought to, we certainly ought to rejoice in, in spiritual and eternal blessings and, and you know, even physical, temporal blessings, even the, even the, the blessings of, of, of this life, um, food beautiful sunset, uh, you name it, the things of this life. We're to even rejoice in those things. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.17, the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So if God gives it, he intends for us to enjoy it. Um, It would be wrong not to enjoy it, but we, we do need to enjoy it 
as a gift from him. His gifts ought to point us back toward him in praise of him. And, and, uh, and it's, it's also true that we really can't truly enjoy the world around us. And I don't mean the evil world around us. I mean creation and those things. We really can't truly enjoy them apart from Christ. But the, the point that we're making here is that we should not only rejoice or delight in the works of the Lord, we should delight primarily in the person of the Lord, who he is, who he is as as a person, not just what he's done for us, but who he is. So first rejoice in him, and then secondly in what he's done for us. And again, you really can't you really can't divide those things out, but I, I trust that you understand my meaning here. Um, I, I, I think for most of us chronologically this is not how it works because because I, I think normally uh, when a man or a woman is first saved, uh, he his, he's initially happy about what God has done for him. He he's happy and he delights in the fact that he's now saved from sin and punishment. So he's delighting in in the works of the Lord in his life, and and that is a reason to rejoice. That is a reason to rejoice uh, that I'm forgiven and that I'm saved from from sin and punishment. Uh, Psalm 13.5 says, But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So absolutely, positively, if God saved you, rejoice in it. Absolutely rejoice in it. But as, as we grow, we realize that, that the, the, the joy of salvation is not just that my sins are forgiven and that I am saved from eternal punishment, as wonderful as those things are, but it's, it's, it's the joy of, of having a personal relationship with the Lord. Um, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, as it's called in John 17, when he's praying to his Father in heaven for his disciples, he says, and this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So that's, 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 that's the, the, the definition of eternal life, that we have the privilege of knowing God and knowing His Son, Jesus Christ, and, and, the, and, the, and the, the overwhelming joy that comes through that. So see, that that's, that's, what we're, that's what I mean by saying we delight in the person of the Lord. The, uh, the, the great gift of being able to, to know God, to treasure God Himself, to see Him as the greatest gift. And, of course, we get to know him through being in his word, and I will say a little bit more about that in just a moment. So that was item number B. Delighting in the Lord means delighting in the person of the Lord. So the next one, item C. Delighting in the Lord is the only true, all-satisfying, lasting joy. Delighting in the Lord is the only true, all-satisfying lasting joy. I mentioned that God created us with the capacity for joy. He did. He created us with the capacity for joy, and he recreated us in Christ, caused us to be born again in Christ, to find our ultimate joy and fulfillment in him. Listen, nothing else in life can ultimately satisfy other than the Lord. Nothing. 
Think of the things that unbelievers look to for ultimate joy and satisfaction. Sometimes we as believers do this too, and we, we, we miss the mark. But, but people look uh, to, to human relationships for their ultimate joy and satisfaction. Now listen, God created other human beings, and he said in the beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. He created us as a social creature. We do need each other, and we are to take joy from each other, but we are not to seek ultimate joy and satisfaction from another human being. Uh, not only is that idolatry, not only is that setting a human being above God, but it doesn't work. There will always de- be disappointment. You know, when, when young people fall in love and they think, oh, if I could just be with that, 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 that boy or that girl, that young man, that, 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 that life would just be great. Total satisfaction. No. No. It doesn't matter how good that person is. That that other person is not going to bring you ultimate satisfaction and joy. Uh, Some people try to find ultimate satisfaction and joy in a job or a career. Boy, if I could just get into this line of employment, or if I could just get, get, get to this income level, I'll have joy and satisfaction. People look to hobbies, pastimes, vacations, entertainment. Entertainment is an idol in our society. People look to entertainment to, to numb the pain of life or to try to get a temporary high. Um, some people look to fame, power, wealth, you name it. They look to it for joy and satisfaction, and none of it brings it. It's all a disappointment. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. So people look and think, if I could just have a lot of wealth, I'll be happy and satisfied and joyful. Solomon, who was arguably the richest man in the world at that time, he said, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. You will never have enough to satisfy You'll never have enough. And you could just fill in the blank. He who loves fame will not be satisfied with fame. fame. He who loves being a celebrity will not be satisfied with being a celebrity. Nothing, nothing, nothing is going to bring ultimate joy and satisfaction other than the Lord himself. And it's not that these things that I've just listed are necessarily wrong. They can be. But there's not, it's not that they're necessarily wrong, but if we seek our ultimate joy and satisfaction in them, we, we are going to be disappointed and we're going to be dishonoring the Lord in whom is ultimate joy and satisfaction. Those things are limited, fleeting, temporal. They cannot satisfy. Our scripture reading earlier You don't have to turn back there, but I want to repeat the first two verses. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And what the Lord means is come to me. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Now he's talking about spiritual blessings. He says you're going to all these different things trying to find joy and satisfaction. It won't work. It won't work. Come to me. Come to me and experience my grace and mercy. Enjoy. Enjoy me. You know, God is being kind to us to command us to delight ourselves in him. Have you ever thought about that? He's being kind to us because he knows that he is the the only real source of lasting 
satisfaction. Um, next week, I'm going to explore the, the truth that we can joy in God even when we are in the midst of suffering and that even our suffering can enhance our joy in the Lord. I'll have to save that for next week, but understand that's part of the equation. Well, let's move on to that fourth point, item number D. Delighting in the Lord cannot be separated from delighting in the things of the Lord. Delighting in the Lord cannot be separated from delighting in the things of the Lord. What do I mean? Well, let me give you some examples. The Word of God. You cannot separate delighting in the Lord from delighting in His Word. You can't separate the two. This book is how God reveals himself to us. Now, yes, there are things, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 and, uh, and David in Psalm 19, there are things we can learn from nature. But, but this is God's primary way of revealing himself to us. And so if I'm to delight in the Lord, I'm going to delight in the Word because that's where I read about God, where I learn about how he is holy and just and righteous and that he is gracious and merciful and willing to forgive and, and uh, patient and long-suffering. And, and we delight as we read those things about God. We're getting to know him better. Um, Psalm 119.16 says, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Verse 24, your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. So he says, I delight in your word, God, because that's how I get to know you. I hear your message. You're speaking to me and revealing yourself to me. So uh, if we delight in the Lord, we're going to delight in his word. We're also going to delight in prayer. Prayer, as I mentioned last week, it's not just about asking God for things. Although he has given us prayer where we are to let our requests be made known, as we saw last week in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. But primarily, prayer is about fellowshipping with God, spending time with him, communing with him, just basking in his presence. So prayer, that's another one of the things of God. Um, Worship, if we delight in the Lord... We're going to delight in corporate worship, coming together on Sunday mornings and at other times to worship the Lord. Um, Psalm 43, verse 4 says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Now notice how he relates a thing of God, the altar of God, uh, representing the, the temple, the house of God, where God's people would come to worship and to sacrifice. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Can we say that God is our exceeding joy? We should be able to. We should be able to. We certainly want to go in that direction, as I said earlier. And if he is our joy, then worshiping him with other people is going to be our our joy as well. Psalm 102, excuse me, Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of of the Lord. Coming to church will be a delight because you delight in the Lord. Again, um, boy, the unbeliever doesn't see it that way. And sometimes believers in their fleshly times don't see it that way. Several years ago, um, a place I used to work, um, 
the, the manager, it was on a Wednesday, um, he just wanted to put together an impromptu gathering after, after work. He wanted to take everybody out for pizza. Well, it was, it was a Wednesday night, or, and, uh, and, and, and we had prayer meeting that night. And so I, I thanked him. I mean, we were all in the group, and I said, well, thank you. I, I do appreciate the invitation, but I've got, got prayer meeting tonight, so I need to be there. And he said to me, oh, well, come on. Here's your excuse not to have to go. Here's your excuse not to have to go. Now, the man wasn't saved. I don't expect him to, to think that going to a prayer meeting is, uh, is a desirable thing. But that's what I mean when I say that unbelievers just don't put God and delight in the same sentence. You and I, however, as God's people, ought to consider delight. Now again, we acknowledge there's times, even as believers, we don't feel like going. Okay, we're in the flesh, we're tired, whatever it may be. God forbid we may even be backslidden for a time. So, so we're, we're not going to consistently delight in all these things, but we certainly ought to strive in the Spirit's power to be more consistent. What about service? We're talking about the things of the Lord that can't be, can't be separated from delighting in Him. What about service? Um, Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. We ought to consider delight to, to serve Him, even if it's hard work, because we delight in Him. So delighting in the Lord cannot be separated from delighting in the things of the Lord. If you don't delight in the Word of the Lord, you don't delight in fellowship with the Lord, you don't delight in meeting with the Lord's people, you don't delight in serving the Lord, it may be because you've never known the Lord because those things are inseparable. And then finally, and we're going to spend a little bit more time on this last one, the fifth one, which would be item E on an outline if you're writing it down. Delighting in the Lord is necessary for glorifying Him. Delighting in the Lord is necessary for glorifying Him. I want to turn to the, uh, the, the, the old catechism, the Westminster Catechism. Some of you may be familiar with it. Um, The first question is this, what is the chief and highest end of man? What is the chief and highest end of man? Meaning, what is the supreme purpose of mankind, of human beings? What are we made for? What is is to be our supreme purpose in life? Well, the answer to that question in the catechism is this, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. How about that? The chief and highest end, or man's chief and highest end, is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. Now I have to ask myself, if if I had been the one assigned to write the catechism and to answer that question, would it even have crossed my mind to add enjoy Him in that? I might have been able to come up with glorify. I might have. Um, but would it even have crossed my mind to, to say also to enjoy him forever? That the chief and highest end of man is to enjoy God forever? Well, the, the, the writers of the Catechism, which is based off the Confession, the Westminster Confession, um, they didn't just throw that in randomly. Um, it, 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 
it was, it was put there as a result of careful consideration of the teaching of Scripture. And that is that, that if, if, we, if we, and I, I trust that no one would argue that our chief purpose is to glorify God, um, but to do so we have to rejoice in Him and enjoy Him. Um, so that's why they put that in there, because that is the systematic teaching of Scripture, that, that to glorify God, we have to rejoice in, in, in Him. Um, many of us were indebted to John Piper, Pastor John Piper, for pointing this out in his book, Desiring God. Um, that's, that, that was the, the, the main point of that book, is that if we truly want to glorify God, then we must find our ultimate joy and satisfaction in Him. We bring glory to Him by, by, by doing that. So glorifying Him and enjoying Him are inextricably linked to, together. Um, let's think about this, and this kind of goes back to, to, to serving Him, uh, serve Him with gladness. And again, that's because we are glad in His person and rejoice in His person. Um, think about a brutal dictator. His people obey him, but not with joy. Okay, now he may expect them to put a smile on their face when he appears in public, um, but they're not smiling on the inside. And the inside, they're grieving and they're oppressed. Uh, Do we really believe that there are any North Koreans who joyfully obey Kim Jong-un? No, they obey him because they fear for their lives otherwise. They fear torture or, or execution. Um, and so it is, a, it is a grievous thing for them to have to serve their dictator. Um, joyless service to God dishonors him, okay? He is not some brutal dictator. He is our benevolent heavenly father who sent his son to die on the cross to bear his wrath upon our sins that we might be forgiven and cleansed and, and, and brought into this, this father-child relationship with him and to have an eternal home with him uh, in, in joy. So we ought to serve him in joy. Our acts of service should be done in joy because we love him and we delight in him. Um, a very common illustration, and you've probably heard it before, and the reason it's common is because it's a, it's, it's a pretty good one. Um, you know, uh, if, if a man, uh, let's say Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, or an anniversary comes up, and a man goes out and buys an expensive bouquet of flowers, and ro- maybe roses, and brings them to his wife and says, Happy anniversary. And she says, Oh, thank you so much. That was so thoughtful. If he then says... Honey, don't mention it. That's just what we men are supposed to do on our anniversaries. You know, it's expected we'll do that. Ooh. I imagine you ladies would throw those flowers right back in his face and said you shouldn't have bothered, right? You don't want it if he did it just because it's his duty to do that on a special occasion. You want to know that that gift is given because that man loves you and he delights in you, okay? All right, well, let's put that in service and offering to God. If we serve Him and obey Him and give Him offerings just because it's our duty to do so, we dishonor Him, right? We're not glorifying Him. We're treating Him like He's some just sort of brutal human dictator that we've got to do this for. So we don't glorify Him. That's why the writers of the confession said to glorify Him and enjoy Him 
forever. What about you're in the hospital and your pastor comes to visit you and he visits with you and prays with you and as he heads out, you say, Pastor, thank you for coming by. Thank you for for visiting me. What if he turns around and says, don't mention it. It was in my duty. It was, you know, the duties I'm supposed to do as a pastor and it's what I get paid for. Again, you say, Pastor, you shouldn't have bothered, okay? He has just destroyed whatever good he did. You want him to come because he loves you, cares about you, and and, and delights in you as as a valued member of the church. So let's keep those kinds of things in mind when we think about this this concept that to glorify God, I've got to enjoy Him. I've got to have true joy in Him as I I do these these acts of of service. Um, John Piper said, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. When you look to Him as the ultimate source of joy, of lasting joy. So delighting in the Lord is necessary in order for us to glorify Him. And if we love Him, we're going to want to glorify Him. We're going we're to glorify Him. Listen, not that God needs us. God doesn't need us at all, okay? God did, never needed to create. We add nothing to God. Okay, but we are given the privilege of having a relationship with Him and sharing in the joy that is God. God, God is a joyous God. God has joy. God is a God of love. He is a God of joy, and He and He graciously invites us to experience and partake of that joy. So we're to delight ourselves in the Lord as our supreme joy. Let me say this. God is not the consolation prize. God is not the consolation prize. Um, I think sometimes we say, you know, I, well, I don't have the relationships I want, and I don't, I don't have the health that I want, and I don't have the money I want, I don't have this and that, but, well, eh, I've got God. God is not the consolation prize. He is the greatest of gifts. If you've got God, you've got everything. You've got everything. He is the very best, the best gift, eternal, invaluable. We can't even, again, joy inexpressible. There's no way to express how valuable the joy of the Lord is. He's the very best gift. He comes to, to Abraham in Genesis 15.1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your Exceedingly great reward. I am your reward. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Uh, I've given you wealth. I'm, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. But I, ultimately, I am your best gift. I'm giving you myself. I am your exceedingly great reward. The very best of gifts. Charles Spurgeon said, "Only the true believer." can have a constant and an abiding satisfaction and delight in the service and love of God. This is an evidence so sure and infallible that if any among you delight in God, I conclude without hesitation that you are a saved soul. But if any of you, on the other hand, never have any delight in God of any kind, I question whether you ever knew God at all. For if you have known Him, you must in your degree have found delight in him. So 
Delighting in God is not an add-on to the Christian life. It is at the very core of the Christian life. It is at the very core of the Christian life. Do you delight in the Lord? Well, believer, God calls upon you to delight in Him and, uh, and, and to, to ask the Holy Spirit to help produce that joy in your life. If, if you're not saved, if you don't belong to the Lord, I encourage you, I beg you, don't listen to the world's lie that to follow God robs a person of joy and fun and all of that. No, 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 no. That is the devil's lie. Ultimate joy and satisfaction comes from being in a right relationship with God. And, and, and God gives joy now. It is mixed with sorrow and grief. We'll talk about that next week. And then he, he has promised perfect joy in the next life to the believer. But for those who reject him, you're, you're denying yourself joy in this life and for eternity. It is a choice between eternal joy and eternal misery. We must understand that we have sinned against God. We rebel against him. And so doing, we deny ourselves joy, by the way. But we have indeed offended a holy and righteous God rebelled against him, cast aside his commandments, say, God, I don't want you. Whether we say it or not, that's what we're saying. I don't love you. I don't delight in you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. And yet God is gracious and merciful, and he holds out his hands to sinners, and he says, repent, repent and come to me, and I'll forgive you. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of his people. He bore God's wrath upon the sins of his people. He died and he rose again. And Christ himself says, repent and believe the gospel, the good news. Believe in me. So will you come to Christ today? Will you repent of your sins? Will you, will you humble yourself before God and say, God, I am a sinner. I deserve death and wrath. But thank you that you are a gracious and merciful God. Please forgive me, Lord. I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Save me, Lord. Bring me into your joy and help me to live for you and glorify you the rest of my life until you take me home to be with you in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you that you have created us with a capacity for joy and that that joy is ultimately in you, Lord. Forgive us when we have sought ultimate joy in other things. Help us, Lord, to run to you and by the aid of your Holy Spirit to rejoice in you, uh, being passionate for your glory. And we know that when we joy in you, Lord, we say to the world, God is good. He is kind and gracious. He is worthy of service and worship and faith and confidence. And Father, for those who may not know Christ, I pray that in your, your grace and mercy, Lord, that you would bring that one or those ones under conviction and, and under conviction not only of sin but of the truth that is in Christ, that he is your son, that he is the way of salvation, he alone, that you would bring that one to faith in Christ, to your glory, Lord, and to their eternal joy. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.